this was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top. I went from a sale of you know five hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. So once a year, you go to the doctor, right? They take your blood pressure, maybe they prick your finger and they take a little blood and they give you a sense of your cholesterol level. Maybe if you go to one of those fancy healthcare facilities, they get you to run on a treadmill for a while, see how your heart's doing. You get a checkup. The same thing should be true of your business. When we look at your business through the Value Builder score, we're going to look at it through eight key drivers that acquirers care about. Whether you want to sell your business immediately or in 10, 20 years from now, these are the eight factors that business buyers care about. Knowing them now will help you maximize the value of your business going forward. Just go to valuebuilder.com and take the questionnaire. My next guest, Ross Burdorf, was the founding CTO and investor in Home Away, the owners of such brands as VRBO. They sold the company to Expedia for $3.9 billion. There's two things I want you to listen to in this interview. The first is when Ross puts on his acquirer's hat. They bought 25 or so businesses at home away. And I want you to listen for the characteristics that he found most attractive in companies that they were acquiring and some of the things that would break off a deal in its tracks. Then I'll have you think about or listen to Ross's description of the Expedia acquisition of HomeAway as Ross went from the acquirer to the acquiree and listen to, in particular, why Expedia wanted to buy HomeAway, some of the strategic reasons that they were interested in making a $3.9 billion acquisition. Here to tell you the whole story is Ross Burdorf. Ross Burdorf, welcome to Built to Sell Radio. Hey, John, I'm so uh, uh, humbled to be invited to your show and excited to talk. Awesome. Let's get into it. So, Home Away, I know, you know, the media talks a lot about Airbnb. I, I've, I, I got to be honest with you, I've never used Airbnb. So, I kind of know generally the concept, but you guys were actually before Airbnb. You were the pioneer in this space. Tell me about the business. What did you guys do? Absolutely, John. I think, you know, we created the marketplace that then Airbnb came in and disrupted us, which is great. I mean, if you, you know, if, you, if you're the one that gets disrupted, that means you must have been the, the leader. So certainly the leader in the vacation rentals. What Airbnb did was they created a, a segment, carved out a segment in the urban area. So they were bigger in cities uh, and still are today. HomeAway and now Expedia you know, really owns the vacation rental market. So think of the vacation de- destinations, mountains, uh, you know, all over Europe, the, the, the vacation destinations. For- yeah. So, so you've got a, like a, a ski chalet, That's you it. use it four times a year, but you want to get some revenue. You yep. might list it on one of HomeAway's properties. What properties did you guys, I think you own VRBO. Is that right? Yeah. we did. Vacation rental by owner. Yes, we uh, VRBO was one of our early acquisitions. So we own VRBO and a whole list of of uh, you know vacation rental rental destinations. We typically went in, or we did go in in each country, and we would buy the the biggest uh, one or the biggest two, 
in the uh, market in the U.S., we ended up buying the biggest uh, four in the in the U.S. There was a couple regionals there, so we did twenty five plus acquisitions, and you know our real innovation was recognizing that what needed to happen is all of these uh, smaller vacation rentals, VRBO being the biggest, needed to be uh, uh, rolled up into the single biggest marketplace, which then we sold to, you know, took it public, raised $453 million, then took it public, you know, uh, uh, you know, five years later, and then uh, sold it to Expedia for $3.9 billion. So that's, no, that's, that's the story. Not a bad little run. I've got so many questions for you. So let me, let me dig in. Um, the business model at HomeAway, uh, how did you guys make money? Oh, so that, you know, I think um, early on, the business model was a subscription model. So the owners and, you know, I ate my own dog food. I had multiple and, and all of the executives ended up having multiple vacation rentals. So we, we ate our own dog food. So on the supply side or the vacation rental owner side, you would pay a subscription fee and then, uh, you know, the traveler would come to the website and we had a very sophisticated search so that they could search for the, the property and then they could go through the booking process. Uh, you know, early on, it was strictly uh, a subscription model. And then as we, you know, moved, progressed, you know, what we really moved the whole company to is what, what we, you'd call a transactional model or, or what, what Airbnb did right out of the gate which would certainly optimize their uh, profitability, you know, for the, for the company, uh, you know, we moved into a transaction model where we would get a cut of all of the revenue that ran through that vacation rental property. So the beginning, if I was a homeowner at a place in Vail, let's just say, and I wanted to put it on uh, VRBO or or one of the other sites, I would pay a subscription fee to access that. And then if someone came and rented my property, you guys didn't get a cut, but you changed that model so that there was a subscription fee and you also got a cut of the, the actual rental property. Is that right? That's right. That's right. And did you drop the subscription fee or did you keep the, tr- the subscription fee and added the transactional fee? Uh, we, did, we did both. You could, do, you could do a mix of it. Uh, you could either buy a, a subscription fee yeah, or, or you could do a, a transaction model where we, we'd have a cut. I mean, there's advantages to both. I'm, the subscription fee was always cheaper. I, should, I don't want to say always, but mostly in general cheaper for the, the uh, vacation rental owner, especially if you're in a high volume area, uh, because, you know, getting a, an override on the transactions in a high volume area would cost you a lot more money. Um, but if you had a, you know, vacation rental in a low volume area, it could be better just to do a, a transactional model. Now we had on our front page, of our website, a little calculator where you could pick and, and decide what was best, what was best for you. Now, the company that we sold to Expedia, we had told all of our customers, hey, we're moving to a transactional model. And the reason was is that, uh, you know, we were the only ones at the, the or we were the biggest, and uh, I think still are the biggest today. Um, 
uh, as far as book book nights, moving to a transactional model is just has a, a, a much more margin, much more profitability for home away. So, you know, we were moving there and, and Airbnb was, you know, right out of the gate transactional and, and them being the, and everybody else in the industry is transactional. So although we added the most value for our customers, you know, at some point, if you can't beat them, you got to join them. So talk to me about your acquisition strategy, because I think a lot of our listeners would benefit from getting inside your head a little bit in terms of what you looked for in a company to buy. Now, keep in mind, Ross, our listeners are people... You know, some of them are technology companies, but but many of them are are not. They they might be auto mechanics, or they, they might own a dental practice, whatever. Their their businesses from all different industries. So as as I you know as you put on as I ask you to put on your acquirer's hat, um, I'd love to know sort of the things that are independent of the technology industry. What you looked for in in companies that you went out and bought. Well, I mean, I think you know, first of all, we wanted to make sure that it was a a, a good fit for what we did. I mean, I think that that seems obvious, but you know, certainly, you know, for your listeners, you you know, you want to want to be looking at who are your potential acquirers, right? So, you know, if you're a auto mechanic, you know, you want to who who are the big acquirers in your your area that 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 that, that can buy them. So, we were looking, of course, for the vacation rental business, and then we were looking for you know, given that we were a global company, we were looking for global reach. So we would be looking for, you know, as I said, who's the number one, number two, uh, you know, maybe even number three in this area of the world or region that uh, we could purchase and that would make our uh, inventory, you know, bigger. So with with the, the, the thought of, if you view our the travelers or the people that book the vacation rentals, you know, if, if they're your primary customer, how can we get them more properties that they want to, to uh, stay in? So, I mean, I would generalize my answer to say, you know, as a small business owner, what do you have that uh, potential acquirers would want to, you know, to purchase in smaller businesses? I'm guessing it's, you know, customers, right? And that it was certainly the case for us that they had customers in those regions. The reason they had customers is because, you know, they had this great inventory. So if you think of in, uh, you know, in uh, France, we, we bought Abertel and Abertel was, you know, one of the biggest vacation rental uh, marketplace websites in France. And, you know, so it was an obvious purchase for us. Ross, so, how did you value these companies? You know, how'd you come up with an offer price? So I think, um, good question. And one way you can, we can ultimately value them is by their customers. I mean, so you can buy, you can value them by their revenue, right? And then you can do a multiple of revenue, multiple of margin, you know, however you, you, you know, you want to to do the, the value of the company, but we also would try to get evaluation on, you know, non overlapped customers because we had, you know, maybe we had another website in in France. We wanted to make sure we weren't buying the same customers. Right. So so we would 
look to see if we weren't buying the same customers and checking, you know, do the math around, uh, you know, customer overlap. And so how would you calculate the value of a customer? It, it depended. I mean, then you'd come down to, you know, what are those customers driving for, you know, revenue per customer? I think at the end of the day, you have to, you know, just strictly be, be thinking about, uh, you know, a revenue purchase, you know, point of view as far as evaluation. And, you know, I think when you're in, uh, our business where you're creating, uh, a marketplace and you're, you're, uh, disrupting the industry, you know, then you're worried about the competition, right? So we, we paid more for some companies because we were worried about our competition purchasing them. Who did you see as your competition? Well, I mean, at the, <laughs> before Expedia bought us, <laughs> we thought Expedia and, and all of the big uh, travel websites, because they were eyeing us not only, and this is good for your customer, or for your, your uh, uh, readers and listeners, is, you know, if you can create some competition, uh, you know, for being purchased, then that's, that's a huge advantage, right? So if there's a bigger player in the market and, um, you know, you have multiple buyers, um, you know, they might not want their competition to, uh, purchase you so you can get a, a, a premium. Still wearing your buyer's hat. Were there times, Ross, where, where, you know, owners overplayed their hand, meaning, you know, they were trying to create this auction. Uh, they said, you know, st- you know, get in line, b- give us your, your bid by this day. And, and you just said, screw off. I, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, like we're the number one player. We're not going to be dictated to buy some $10 million company on, on, on the terms. So did you guys, did, did, did people try to overplay their hands and, f- and, and, and essentially lose you as a bidder? Yeah. I mean, I don't think we ever got emotional about what we were doing because we we just did too much of it. And so, I mean, you know, sure, they would, people could do all kinds of wacky stuff and and they did. So I I guess the answer, straightforward answer to you is yes. Um, But, you know, when you get to be there is a risk and this is useful for your listeners is that, you know, if you overplay it and you're the biggest, you know, and you're selling to the biggest player, it's like, well, I can either sell to them or I can sell to a second tier player, but that second tier player can't pay what the, you know, what the big player can be. So you might be shooting yourself in the foot. If that makes if that makes sense, but we never. I, I mean, you know, we never really went for those tactics, and you know, we were never vicious on the the other side of purchasing. Were there of the twenty? You said you you did twenty five acquisitions. Uh, uh, twenty. I mean, we did a lot of tech, small technology acquisitions too. It was it was over twenty five. <laughs> Okay, and and of those, I'm assuming there were deals that you uh, that you kind of sniffed around at, but but chose not to make offers on. Oh, there was plenty of 
of those also. We, I mean, uh, you know, good, good. I mean, I'm starting my own company right now and it's up and running and, you know, a most likely exit for me, it'd be a most likely exit for all companies, really, even in the, the field I'm in, uh, you know, high technology startup is, you know, that it's purchase or, uh, you know, be purchased, you know, or go public and being purchased is far more common and likely even in, in my space and certainly for your, for your uh, uh, listeners. So you should always be, I think, be talking to, we were always talking to people that we were going to potentially buy. Right. So we always had a conversation and we're, you know, always uh, engaged with them at multiple levels. How, how would you approach those conversations? I'd be curious to know, were you as explicit at that saying, look, Bob, you know, we'd like to buy your company one day? Or were you a little bit more cagey and veiled about the conversation? No, I think, I mean, if we were interested in buying them, we would have a conversation with them. And if their price was out of line with what we were going to play, we didn't stop the conversation. We said, geez, we don't think we can come together on this price, but let's keep talking. You know, you're going to grow. We're going to grow. Maybe you'll become more important or less important. And, but we should have a open lines of communication, uh, you know, so that uh, if things change, for either of us, we, we still have, uh, you know, have a conversation. What was a deal breaker for you? Like what would make you walk away from an acquisition? Uh, if we felt like the, the seller was, you know, dishonest or, you know, or there was something that, you know, we were uncomfortable with from, uh, honesty point of view that would kind of, that would make us uh not want to do it right it, re- regardless of the circumstances and uh and then of course if it didn't make sense you know if we couldn't come together on the price um you know that would th- those would be would be it or you know or went through due diligence and we found out that there was nothing that you know what what we thought was there wasn't there, and you know maybe they were overrepresenting it. You know, there's you can always back out in uh, you know due diligence. Uh, we would typically try to get you know uh, letters of intent that were exclusive um, and gave us you know time to look at the deal and and uh, decide if we were going to do it. That's helpful. Let's turn our attention and kind of flip your hat here because I'm, I'm asking you to wear both hats as an acquirer, but now also as, as the founding CTO, part owner of HomeAway. Let's move to the decision to ultimately exit and sell to Expedia. Um, let's, let's, let's kind of catch everybody up in terms of timeline. What's the... What what are the key dates in your mind leading up to the Expedia acquisition? Um, you mentioned you went public. Maybe just give us the, the yeah. chronology of of where what you see as the key dates. Yeah, I mean this kind of, this happened over eleven year time frame. So you know, go back to let's go backwards. You know, two years from ago we sold to Expedia two December's ago, 
we sold to to Expedia, and you can read the press. I think it's been their their best acquisition, most profitable. So we're we're proud that we handed over a great company and had built a great company that had a lot of pent pent up uh, revenue and margin for them. So that that's great to to be a part of that. Prior to that, we had taken it public. Uh, I believe that would have been right around four or five years prior to the sell. We took it public. And then, you know, six years prior to that, we, you know, had through multiple venture rounds, ended up in raising, you know, uh, $453 million. So, you know, raised a bunch of money, built the companies, did lots of acquisitions, took it public and, uh, you know, ran it as a public company, did some more acquisitions and, um, you know, then sold it, which is really the life cycle. At least if you're in my business, that's the best possible, you know, outcome and, and scenario you can have. I mean, I guess a better one would be, you know, we were considered a unicorn. So we had over a, a billion dollar valuation. That's what it takes to be a unicorn. So we were up there with, you know, all the other unicorns, Facebook, Google, uh, certainly not in valuation, but we were, we were, you know, a, a unicorn, which is great to be a part of a fast growing company. And, um, you know, I guess the, the thing that could have been better is that we'd still be at the helm and the company would be, you know, I, you know, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, a, a 50, billion dollar valuation but you know really the best thing for us to do with where we were in the market market was to sell to Expedia it was a perfect match both for us and for them what was it that made it such a strategic fit help cuz i think of Expedia i think sometimes i'll go book a hotel on a Expedia like that's that's the kind of my limited exposure to what Expedia does so catch me up as to why home away was such a strategic fit for them well i think it was it's a strategic uh fit for multiple OTAs so what sorry what's it, an OTA uh online travel agency okay so, you know, you think of all the big OTAs or maybe even, you know, if, if Google had gotten more into travel, you know, and become more of a OTA, then, um, you know, what what HomeAway had and what now uh, Expedia has is they have this unique inventory and that unique inventory is these vacation rentals, right? So we're the, the world's largest uh, vacation rental they have that unique inventory. Travelers want that unique inventory because, you know, you, I, I think you've said you've done it before, John. It's like it's a it's a far better experience for a family vacation to have a vacation rental than, you know, to have a hotel room. All right. So it's it's a, just a better experience. It's cheaper. It's just just all the way around. But the OTAs needed the inventory. So we had something that they didn't have. We, you know, had established a brand, we had established, you know, had had control of all that inventory. And so they were buying that inventory so that they could present it to their customers, which were, which were our customers. Because right? a lot of people, I guess, you know, the there was a trend where in the early days of online travel agencies where 
you know, the likes of hotels.com, whatever, you know, it was, it was way better, way cheaper to, to buy your hotel room, to reserve your hotel room on a, on a hotels.com. And, and you, you know, you go to the Westin.com and they'd be charging like two or three times more for the same room, but that's changed now, right? Like now the, the rates seem to be really more at parity. Like I've done tests of my own. I'll, I'll do a, Site search on Expedia, and then I'll just go over to the branded, you know, the whatever the the Weston's website, and I'll find that the prices are virtually identical now. Was that part of that that the the benefit of Expedia's sort of searching the web and finding the best price? That benefit was was di- becoming diluted. Is that is that fair to say? Well, I think the answer is yes. It's fair to say, or or another way to say it is that it's becoming more and more competitive not only with their are they competing with their own supply but then of course they're competing with the other big otas and you know the other big otas want unique inventory that maybe that will pull in uh more customers and as more customers come to the brand and the site then they buy more of everything you know what i mean you want to be an OTA has got to be big and, uh, you know, drive a lot of traffic. And, and so if you've got the one stop shop for everything, hotels, vacation rentals, car rentals, you know, travel insurance, you know, you, you become the one stop shop, then that's an advantage over the competition. So Expedia had traffic, but they wanted more inventory. When yeah. you guys were buying companies, you were buying them, as you mentioned earlier, for different reasons. You you were buying the customers, and and that was your most important asset. But for Expedia, their most important strategic reason to buy you guys was you had the inventory. Well, both. I mean, it, 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 yeah, certainly for Expedia because you couldn't you couldn't say, "Geez, Expedia doesn't have the brand and they don't have the traffic." or they didn't, you know, don't have the travelers. They definitely had that. We certainly had, you know, trap, uh, when I say traffic, you know, we certainly had travelers that were coming to our website and, and they certainly got the advantage of that. But if you looked in the grand scheme of thing, they wanted our unique inventory to monetize the travelers that they already had coming to their website. And they certainly were happy to have our incremental travelers also but you know that they already had the traffic and that's why it was such a good fit for us because you know although we were you know in the top 10 travel websites uh you know from a traffic point of view we paid for a lot of that traffic through google we had a lot of seo it cost us a lot to create that traffic well they already had that traffic you know so in a in a sense you know, from their perspective, they needed to monetize uh, more of that traffic. And one way to monetize that traffic was to be able to go into a new vertical called vac- vacation rentals. And in order to do that, you know, they tried to compete with us by doing their own thing, but they never could effectively. So at the end of the day, they ended up purchasing us. 
And do you do you know, Ross, if Expedia did some sort of normalization calculation to say if we stripped out all of what HomeAway spends on search engine marketing and SEO, if we stripped that out because we wouldn't incur the same degree of costs, how much more profitable HomeAway would be in our hands? Do you do you, do you know explicitly if they if they did that math? I, they should have. I'm sure they did that. So talk to me about the numbers themselves. I know it's all public, so I'm sure we could we could Google it, but just give me the, the headline numbers. So it was $3.9 billion transaction. Yeah. What what did that represent as a multiple of your revenue, your EBITDA? Oh man. Uh you know, you'd have to look up that. I wasn't I didn't uh I can't tell you that off the top of my head. I'm sorry. All right, we'll we'll get into the show notes. When they said 3.9 billion, that I just kind of said yes. Let's do that. <laughs> That's, that sounds like I mean, a lot of money. It is. It is interesting, and this is some inside information. I mean, the the in the case of us, the good news is that we had multiple acquirers or multiple folks that wanted to purchase us, but at the end of the day. You know, we took the highest bid because, you know, they were, I mean, there was no, it wasn't like one of these big OTAs was worse or better than the other. So I guess what I'm trying to get at for your listeners is that, you know, uh, and certainly we, you know, some of us stayed around with Expedia, but when it's a company that big and they buy you, they don't want the executive staff there. They've got their own staff that can run the business and, and help take it to the next level. So I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, m- many of your listeners, I'm, they probably don't, they might do some level of earn out, but they also are probably leaving the company after a certain amount of, uh, of time. So, you know, it comes down to, you know, regardless of, you know, what your revenue multiple is, it, it had to be what, who could buy you and what they could buy you for. Who else was at the table? Uh, I don't know if I can disclose that, but the other big OTAs. Got it. Got it. And and was there, I'd be curious to know how much back and forth there was on the price given the competition was sort of heating up for home away did did you were you guys able to ratchet up the the multiple or the or the value through sort of a a bit of a bidding war at 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 times yeah i think that i think that you you could say that 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 happened but but here again i'll just come i'll come back to and i think it's important for you know, or maybe it's easier for smaller companies to do that. Um, but you know, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's what is someone going to pay for your company and what can they pay for your company? You know, so I think you could probably, there's a little bit of that, but here again, at the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, you know, what you, what we did at HomeAway is we made, we had a super valuable asset that was very unique, that was throwing off a ton of cash flow and a, and, and a, a, a you know, ton of revenue and margin. And it had unique content that these you know, other two players in the market 
really needed, and one of those players needed it worse than the other player. And they were willing to pay more of it, more money, because they needed that. So, you know, there is this piece of, you know, who needs it more? And they're willing to pay uh, a little bit, but they only have to pay a dollar more <laughs> than the other player, right? So, I mean, to, to, to be clear. Ross, take me inside your kitchen table on the night you heard that Expedia was going to acquire HomeAway for $3.9 billion. I'd love to know the conversation you and your wife had about what this meant for you personally. Um, you know, we can't, we can't, uh, we can't underestimate the fact that this was a life-changing event for you. Take me into your kitchen table as you talked about it that night. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, it's a good thing you brought up my lovely wife. I'll do a shout out to her, uh, Paula, who has been with me through all of these multiple startups and certainly, you know, was a big part of, uh, Home away in my current startup. She's she's worked at my current startup for no salary when we were, you know, had such wild growth that we couldn't keep up. So, you know, she's been my teammate all over all during all this stuff. And I do a big, big shout out to Paula for everything that she's done. Uh, and I think the conversation was just, you know, was one of you know, we knew it was going to happen. We knew we were going to sell the company and, you know, it was one of uh, relief and, and of, of joy. Um, you know, we'd already had a lot of financial um, uh, rewards out of HomeAway, you know, through the IPO and, and, you know, the stock was public for a long time and, and, you know, the, the purchase of HomeAway was structured stock and cash. So it, it, it was, you know, I think it was, it was good uh, for us financially, obviously. Uh, I think it's just, it's fantastic when you can, you know, sell a company, feel good about, you know, who's buying it and, you know, feel good that you have handed over a valuable asset and that it's the right thing to do. You know, we sell the company to uh, Expedia that could make it even better for their shareholders. And, you know, it's really turned out great for them. So I can feel good about it. Like I didn't, you know, dump this company, you know, at a fire sale. In fact, it was the opposite. You know, we sold this company that still to this day is generating a ton of value for them and, and will continue into the future. I appreciate you sharing the story with us. I, I don't want to end the interview without talking a little bit about your current company. Tell me, tell me about what you decided to go do because uh, you didn't hit the beach, I understand. You, oh. You've gotten right back into another stuff. Yeah. What are you doing now? Yeah, I jumped right back into it. I took a little bit of time off uh, you know, it was going to take a year. I made it 10 months. And then I just got so intrigued by uh, a, a, a completely underserved market. And, you know, so I started a company, it's called Zen Business. And I'm the CEO and founder there. I've got a couple other founders with me, some of them from home away. So pulling the team back together. And, you know, our goal is to, to uh, help entrepreneurs create a million new businesses by 2023. And we're, we're well on our way 
to doing that. Um, you know, the, the, when, uh, Jeff Bezos started Amazon, he started with books. And when we started, uh, Zen business, we started with the corporate formation. So, you know, you're not a business until you, you know, create an LLC or a C corp or S corp. <clears throat> you really need to do that from a legal point of view to protect you and your family. So that's where we started. And we always had the, the, the vision and continue to have the vision much as Amazon does is that we want to be, we want to sell everything that a small business needs to get up and running. So we, we are the small business platform that you need as an entrepreneur to get up and running from formation to banking, insurance, accounting, uh, taxes, website, e-commerce, everything you need to get up and running. We're the back office for you. So, you know, you can spin us up in the cloud as a small, you know, your small business back office, you know, be bigger than you, you are. We'd love to, you know, be providing, and we've been talking about it. We should look at your book and provide it to all of our, our customers. They need education. This is a very daunting task to, to start a small business and we're here to help them. We have world-class support. And then we offer them the products and services that they're asking for right from our digital dashboard. Everything's integrated into a single platform. So we're super excited about that. I'm, I'm more excited about this business than I was at HomeAway and that, and I was very excited about HomeAway um, really being, uh, you know, having a, a, a great time and, and uh, customers are happy and we're doing this rapid growth right now. That's awesome. And, and it just occurs to me that you are the perfect guy to answer the following question, which will be my last. Okay. Is it better <laughs> to own 100% of a small pie or a small piece of a large pie? A small piece of a large pie. Tell me why. It, because I think it's a more marketable business. It, you know, I think as a small business owner and, you know, I'm a, a serial entrepreneur, so I'm around this, you know, all the time it can be very difficult to exit a small business. And, you know, if you've had it and built it up all your life, uh, you know, you can have trouble, you know, transitioning out of it. I mean, that's why I think, you know, I love, uh, you know, what you're doing is, you know, helping people get ready for that because it, it can be a di difficult transition. Whereas if you've got a bigger business, it's uh, much easier uh, to market that. So I'll grant you that for sure that you know, obviously bigger businesses are more marketable. However, you, you see the energy you're now bringing to Zen business, which is that sense of, of total ownership, total control. And I'm assuming at home away, I mean, you guys got to a very, very large company, a publicly traded company. In fact, that at some point you lost some of that autonomy. Was oh, that worth giving up? No, absolutely. But, you know, being the entrepreneurs that we were, I mean, that's why we sold it. It's like, geez, we're not the guys to, to take. So, you know, if your question is, you know, Ross, do you still wish you were, you know, at Homeway and Expedia? The answer is no, because I'm, I'm a guy that starts stuff up and, you know, gets it 
bigger and and you know takes it public or or sells it but you know HomeAway was you know a multi-billion dollar unicorn so that's a big a big company and was you know in a small group of companies that are public so I'd still say that it was far more lucrative and life-changing for me to have a small piece of that big pie you know early on you know, what I'm doing right now, I want to make this, turn this into a big business. Uh, you know, we're well on our way to do that, but yeah, I love small business, you know, and, and being able to have a big impact, uh, you know, is, is very exciting. What's the best way for people to learn more about you or Zen business? What, where would you point people to? Well, I would just simply go to zenbusiness.com and you know we can help our goal again is to to help start small businesses and provide them with everything they need their their bag office so you know think of us as you know amazon for small business get you up and running with everything you need right there for a, a monthly subscription fee and ross on social media uh, are you on twitter do you accept linkedin connections what's the best way if people yeah, want to reach you can just look for me on Twitter, it's uh, uh, Ross in Austin, and uh, you know my email is Ross at ZenBusiness.com, and you know there's not too many Ross Burdorfs in the world. Um, you know, so we we'll have it all in the show notes as well. So on, on LinkedIn, I think you got all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. We'll get it all in the show notes so folks can check it out at builttosell.com slash blog. Hey, Ross, this was fun. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks so much, John. I'd super appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Built to Sell Radio with John Warlow. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit builttosell.com slash blog. John is the founder of the Value Builder System. To find out how to improve the value of your business by 71%, visit valuebuildersystem.com. John is also the author of Built to Sell, creating a business that can thrive without you, and the automatic customer, creating a subscription business in any industry. Connect with John at facebook.com slash built to sell or on Twitter at John Warlow, W-A-R-R-I-L-L-O-W. Thanks for listening.